Welcome to Delegate, where we bring you the latest in DAO governance news, protocol deep dives, and interviews with some of the industry's most interesting professionals. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. Quick disclaimer before starting this episode. From a professional capacity, we do serve as delegates within the Maker Protocol, although we will be abstaining from this particular MIP MIPSET. Lawrence, what's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. We had two great conversations with two top delegates for MakerDAO. So we had Code Knight and Paper come on to, to chat to us, discussing the constitution, MIP 101, as set up by Rune, the founder of MakerDAO. Cam, do you want to give us a, a quick overview or breakdown of the constitution and what it means? Yeah, definitely. So we'll be talking about MIP 101, so Maker Improvement Proposal 101. And this is all about adding a constitution to the MakerDAO. Now, first off, right, constitutions, I think, are very important because what it does is it, it helps align protocols, DAOs, workforces, delegates, you name it, right, towards that common goal. This proposal originally came on January 31st, but has definitely been in the works for some time now in the background from Rune. A few quick highlights around this proposal is that this will actually be included in a MIP set. So, so definitely all maker holders should go out, take a look at the vote, really break down and participate. I think voting participation is critical when it comes to these matters in DAOs. Regarding this constitution, it is broken up into 11 different parts, ranging from definitions, purpose and values, die. This will be linked up in the show notes. We saw some huge activity on the forum again around this constitution. I think it's pretty split right now, 50-50, on whether or not folks want to move forward with the constitution, but definitely it's very promising to see all of the activity from various delegates uh, on where we can update or what the constitution could say. We will be talking to two different delegates. Both have varying views of the constitution, but they are similar in some ways. And so I think it's great to hear from the delegates prior to the vote just to kind of understand where they're coming from and, and some of those deep thought processes. One thing on these two guests that we do have is that we had initially planned to get people from either side of the, the voting spectrum. Unfortunately, we don't manage to do that in this instance. But I think both of them have still quite different views and focus on different areas when we spoke to them. Absolutely right, Lawrence. Let's go ahead and introduce Paper. Shout out to our sponsor, Boardroom, for providing us with support, data, and governance intelligence, helping us to complete this episode. Pulling up Paper Imperium's delegate profile on boardroom.io, we find GFX Labs. GFX is a top delegate across multiple different platforms, Uniswap, Hop, Optimism. They used to be active at Compound, and lastly, at MakerDAO, they sit as the second largest delegate by voting weight with approximately 12,000 MKR. All right, we're live. Joined by Paper Imperium from Maker. Paper, what's going on? Not much. Rainy day. Sitting here talking to y'all, I guess. <laughs> exactly. So, so Paper, our, our hot topic today is, is MIP 101. 
So really centered around the Constitution. I think first, before we jump into some details about that, would love for a little background on some of the values that you represent with all of your experience and participation within the Maker Protocol. So I represent GFX, which is a one of the larger delegates at, at MakerDAO and, and some other protocols. When it comes to Maker, and we tend to be nuts and bolts, detail-oriented people, but with a, if we're just going to paint with a broad broad brush, I'd say our, our values are that Maker should be software, right? It's a protocol, not a hedge fund. This We're not fans of constant asset allocation, yeeting in and out of this kind of bond or that kind of private credit. So we want to we wanna get it back to being, back to fundamentals. We want it to focus on generating DAI and providing safe, stable you know, tokens that, that, that people can have, have confidence will always be worth a dollar on the open market and, and, and can be a store of the value or used as a medium of exchange. Awesome. And I know we've got a huge topic to cover off today, which is the Constitution. I would love to get your view in just of, of what is the Constitution, maybe just the core points. You don't need to go through the whole proposal itself. Oh, okay. So unfortunately, it's the Constitution also has, I think, 12 supporting documents that are bundled with it. And it's also within the context of this something called the end game that uh, MakerDAO co-founder Rune has put forward. It's a long, it, it has a lot of stuff. It's, it's sprawling. It's expansive. It's disjointed and chaotic in many ways. In anything that big, there's going to be some things that are good and some things that are bad. But just to highlight some of the, the key things, it wants to make itself more resilient against, make, make her more resilient against seizure to be able to operate in the unlikely event it becomes a criminal organization. And part of that plan includes the ability for die to to be devalued. People have talked about it floating. That's not actually what was communicated in his, uh, he envisions three different stances, pigeon stance, eagle stance, and phoenix stance. And in eagle and phoenix stances, die would be devalued as a, a way to shrink supply by punishing holders is the, the too long didn't read. We obviously don't like that. We think die is maker's product. We don't think ma- maker's product is not offering leverage. It's not asset management. These are things that are incidental and should always be incidental if they're even included. They're offering leverage vaults as a means to generate die, and asset management should only be a, a complement to a way to park reserves to the extent that makers over-reserved in USDC. That's that's what's appropriate when you, when you decide to put money into treasuries, for instance. It's not to it, it's not to reach for yield because you're in, you're introducing legal and and other complexities that are are risky in and of themselves. Let's see. So it also involves dilution. I believe the most recent communication has been 60,000 maker a year. That's about a 6% yearly dilution. Unfortunately, these numbers change depending on when you talk to to room and have changed over time. Initially they were 40,000. We also see in the 101, the constitution itself, immediately you see a 20,000 maker dilution, which is completely separate and came out of the blue that was initially for funding environmental activism after significant pushback. Rune has relabeled it as public goods, but the dilution is still there. And I think we all know what he wants to use it for. Whenever uh, a protocol has stable coins to pay its bills, it should. It should use those. Using the governance token is really only appropriate to align the workforce through vesting or in the event that stable coins are simply not available. 
That's our general position. We we do not generally like dilution, particularly to fund activism that's out of scope. That has nothing to do with providing a stable coin. There's also the added layers of bureaucracy, these constitutional voter committees that uh, maker holders are expected to show up and join these things and go through, I forget how many required meetings. They have to produce quarterly reports and recommendations for each of these. I think it's 12 different scopes. Like It's a lot of homework. And the best part is they don't actually have any power. It's a lot of work, but they don't really do anything there. If they disappeared tomorrow, the only thing that would happen, or they produce no work, the only thing that would happen is that delegates would be ineligible for pay without at least two of these committees saying, we think these people are eligible for pay. So it's a lot of work and a lot of added people that you have to get there and pay them because they get some compensation, but they don't actually seem to do anything that I, as far as I can tell. Now flip this around and each of these scopes has a responsible facilitator who are special individuals vested with wide ranging discretionary powers. This is similar to the current maker setup, except with much more expansive discretionary capabilities for uh, for the facilitators who, quite frankly, some of them may not want the potential legal liability that comes with it. We see people scrambling to incorporate themselves and incorporate their persons ahead of this. Yeah, definitely. I think the... I. I, I really like the stance. It's, it's, I, I would say more conservative, really looking at the protocol continuity, ensuring that I think the long-term growth, low inflation of the protocol. A few things I just want to dig into the 20,000 MKR. I did see that, that, that also goes directly against the maker burned to date. And so it would be wiping that out, creating that. And, and just to highlight on some of the inflationary aspects, something that was raised on crypto Twitter and across various various other mediums was leveraging maker in times of emergency. Right. So there are uh, provisions in the Constitution and have also been communicated in other in-game documents that are not directly up for a vote, but all part of the same roadmap. So traditionally, maker has been acted as a, a backstop, right, where maker is diluted to to make whole any shortfall in the protocol to ensure that the the maker protocol is always solved. Rune, uh, his constitution takes that off the table or, or at least puts on the table that it's not guaranteed. To his credit, he points out correctly that in a worst case scenario, there's simply not going to be enough maker to mint. It could go to zero and still not make a large hole in the protocol disappear. Now, I, that may be true, but that doesn't mean that maker holders should not be punished first, right? So it's even to, it's, it's less about the maker backstopping die prudent management risk management and uh you know protocol parameters should be what backstops die ultimately but in a worst case scenario maker holders need to suffer before die holders and to the extent that their suffering is not enough to make die holders whole it should still be enough to lessen the impact i mean we just saw a bank failure today for i don't know when this is going to air but we we just saw a an insured depository institution closed today and what's going to happen is that the depositors there are going to become the new shareholders. So if you own stock in Silicon Valley Bank, it's now worth zero. And all the equity is going to be given to the depositors for those who had amounts in there in excess of what the FDIC insures. Now, Maker is not a bank. It's not a company. MKR tokens are not equity. They're, they're assets. They're keys to this piece of software. Now, this is not 
some financial institution. It's a piece of software that offers permissionless ability to generate dime. That being said, it's only right and only ethical for those who mismanaged a protocol to suffer in advance of those who are depending upon the stability of DAI. So I think really interesting point you've touched on there around, firstly, around the dilution of, of MKR and many other factors there that are impacting it. One thing that worries me a little bit with this proposal is the sub-DAO concept and how that devalues MKR as well. What was your perspective on that? And So traditionally, or er, we, we feel that Maker should be software. So conceptually, if you go back in time 12 months or whenever, they were originally called meta-DAOs and then changed to sub-DAOs. A lot of the jargon has changed throughout time, which makes following the documentation difficult. But these ideas have evolved as Rune's thinking has evolved through time. So conceptually, at the top highest level, we liked the idea. The idea was originally to push all the business activities, real-world assets, and and they'll push those out to these Meta DAOs or sub DAOs, or I think they're called, they're sub DAOs now, right? Yes, sub DAOs. And, and so that, that means that the regulatory and legal touch point is going to be, would be at these arm's length, not related party that are spun up to do whatever. Unfortunately, now that we're beginning to see implementation, we have parallel to this vote, but part of the greater in-game context is something called Spark Protocol, which is our first peek at what this would look like in practice. And basically, it's an Ave V3 fork. I, I guess a little low effort, but it's not been hacked, so perhaps it's wise. And then be given a 200 million die blank check through a, a D3M die direct, die direct deposit module. And and who would hold the keys to this protocol? Maker governance. So it's hard to see how the legal and regulatory and compliance burden does not still fall down to the protocol and those in, within the DAO that are managing the protocol. But at the same time, you're handing over some portion of the proceeds to the, this whatever sub-DAO that you're subsidizing with maker holder money. And in this case, also remitting 10% back to Ave in recognition of the fact that you forked their, their protocol to make a direct competitor. A lot of what leaves room to be desired and the reason there's been such urgency in the last 30 days, why my email inbox is suddenly full and my telegram full of chats is because these details that we finally see these implementation details in the constitution and accompanying scope documentation. And it's a disaster. It wrecks business relationships. It dilutes maker holders. It takes away the core promise of maker backstopping die holders and putting them first in line, making them the most senior when it comes to being made whole. So it just, it breaks promises left and right. And it's part of a, the, the, the whole end game plan is evolving very rapidly. Just this week, I was in a meeting where Rune says we need to change Dai's name. Never mind the contract is immutable. It'll always say Dai Unchained. That's not to say it can't be done. You know, Matic and Polygon's a good example. USDP it was originally Pax Dollar. Of course, they could upgrade the contract to change the ticker. This is like a huge distraction and a heavy lift. I still see exchanges that use the Psi symbol and sometimes the Psi name. All right. And then so that was this week. Last week, I got lectured at for more than an hour how Maker needs to get into AI. It's as if we're just running through buzzwords and pivoting from one shiny thing to another. 
I mean, it was just several months ago that Rune tried to put forth a proposal for Maker to buy his Lido off of him. Now, in hindsight, it would have worked out great for, for Maker. It would have, it would have accidentally worked out well. These are the kinds of left to back and forth, these whipsaw motions and our business partners are, are they want to know what's going on, right? And, and the workforce, they want to know how are they going to, where, where, where do they fit? And do they still have jobs? If to the extent that they do or do not, what's the plan? And most importantly, if you look through all of the in-game documentation, very little of it is about die, right? And very little of it's about growing die, making die more useful, finding more markets for die, right? What we need is to push die into more markets, either on Ethereum or on other chains. This is, this is the key way to grow. We don't need to be shrinking die supply by reallocating the USDC reserves, right? Because what do you do if you want to put $500 million into treasuries? You meant 500 million die, you swap it for the USDC, you redeem the USDC, and boom, there's 500, you, you've not grown the die supply, but you, you, you've turned your, yourself building a permissionless unbiased currency into a hedge fund that doesn't even hedge. So really focusing back on those core principles as a protocol. Would you say that's an easy way to put your viewpoint and stance on the future of Maker? Yes. GFX hopes to get our plan finally published today, the very first part of it. It's taken people have asked for, well, what people, a lot of the VCs, they're like, oh, in-game sucks, but what else is there? We're not just going to show up to vote. No. Unlike the in-game, which is all out of one person's head and written in, and many of these were written in real time, a real abuse of the request for comment period where you have four weeks to, re, to comment before voting, many of these were filled in at the last minute. They had a, a post that was put up in time, but we sat there for many weeks looking at TBD and some of the most vital details, including things like deprecating the entire existing governance structure. New maker improvement proposals will not be allowed. That was one of the things we waited until just before the last second for that TBD to be elaborated upon. But but yes, we will. we are hoping to get something up in, in, on the forum before this airs and on the the dive front do you think because i i know that and obviously the the market's taken a downturn generally and so the total supply of die has gone down as well since peaks i think it's, it's gone down from about 10 billion to about four and a half billion now or thereabouts do you think this uncertainty around the in-game plan has, has perhaps influenced that as well and its usage i honestly don't think many people um are up to speed on the in-game plan so i hesitate to ascribe much any upward or downward motion and dire maker to, to the end game plan. It's I've sat in hundred, probably a couple hundred hours of meetings over the last 12 months or more as Rune has developed and laid out his vision. It used to be a weekly meeting in the last month or so. It's been three meetings a week and these typically run between two and three hours. I, I think it's forgivable that most people not want to dig into this, which also makes it hard to raise awareness of the danger it represents, because we got this far based on some of the concepts seem nice, but then when we finally see the implementation details, then suddenly a lot of things break. So I I hesitate to say that it's had an effect on die supply. Yeah. And and so, Paper, it does look like we're coming up on time here. I think, is is there anything that we missed that you'd like to get across? I think if you hold Maker and uh, you're listening to this before the vote is closed, it should run from March 
13th as when the, the poll goes up and should run for 14 days. I hope that you'll show up. I hope that you'll vote no on the maker constitution. Even if you conceptually agree with everything that's in there, I think our workforce and other contributors have expressed enough doubt about a lot of the specifics that have been dictated from on high about setting this interest rate here or offering this collateral there without any regard for uh, reality. Yep. And and so for, for everybody listening, you can follow Paper on Twitter. He's very active and he has great takes at Imperium Paper. And we'll link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, this has been really great. Thank you for giving your opinion and, and diving into the, the ins and outs of it all. Perfect. For a little halftime break, let's dive into some of the definitions of uh, some of the terms that we've gone through here. So one of the big ones is constitutional voter committees, CVCs. So what are CVCs? These are voter committees made up of constitutional conservers. Constitutional conservers are external entities that play a, a fundamental role in facilitating the maker governance process just by making sure that it happens according to the processes defined in the maker constitution. So they're subject to specific requirements, they receive various benefits, resources, and support to do their role, and they're typically autonomous, or encouraged to be at least. One of the other terms that we used in describing constitutional voter committees is a voter committee, just more broadly, is a group of maker holders that publicly coordinate to analyze the best voting behavior based on a particular strategy, and publicly coordinate their political positioning with other voter committees and voting blocks um, to reach middle grounds and compromises. Um, that minimize any bad decisions that may be happening within Maker. Spot on. And so after CBCs, Constitutional Voter Committees, we have Constitutional Delegates, or CDs. I like to think of a Constitutional Delegate to provide some sort of check and balance on the Constitutional Voter Committees. Having the CDs as implementers of the strategies helps to protect against the centralization of power that is inherent in constitutional voter committees. Delegates are ecosystem actors, as pointed out in the Constitution, and also gives them the ability to delegate their maker. However, it can then generate die through delegation. The whole goal here is to try to incentivize that delegation. One of the next big things I think we'll hear a lot about throughout this episode are scope frameworks. Scope frameworks are modifiable subcomponents of the maker constitution. Now, what in the world does that mean? I like to think of these as some level of mandates. And so with that being said, there are actually 12 of them. Why there's 12? We're not really sure. However, they do try to cover a majority of all the different facets that you might think is relevant within MakerDAO. Some of these are primary scopes, supporting scopes, and governing scopes. Under primary scopes, there's stability and liquidity, decentralized collateral, RWA, real-world assets, and ecosystem operations. For supporting scopes, we have protocol engineering, growth, physical resilience, interface, infrastructure, and finance. And of course, the big one here, governance scopes, with arbitration and governance security. After our quick vocabulary lesson, uh, we we're joined here by Code Knight. Code Knight is an active delegate within Maker and has been very active on the forum talking about MIP 101. Code Knight, what's going on? 
Hey, man. Yeah, I'm a Code Knight, and I represent Wallfacer Labs in as a delegate for MakerDAO. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Just really quick before we jump into it, would love to know some of the values that you bring and represent to Maker. You know, some of the things that you look out for within your decision making. Yeah. So I look at my core values as simplicity and sustainability. I'm a big believer in like kind of incremental improvement to the DAO and just refactoring and simplifying the core of Maker and trying to either offboard the complexity or move it out to the periphery so it's not in this and dominating the space. So the big topic of today is MIP 101, the constitution. Would you be able to give us a sort of a brief overview of the main talking points on the constitution for yourself and the things that, are, that you're thinking most about? Sure. So I guess let's first get an overview of what the constitution is. I view the constitution as like an attempt to uh, gamify MakerDAO. I believe Rune is very passionate about game design. So it, it tries to set up these immutable rules and incentives for different with all these different committees and these different roles are supposed to keep each other in check and ideas it's going to follow their own incentives and it'll flow smoothly it's also seeking to offboard much of the work of the DAO to like sub DAOs or contractors the sub DAO aspect is interesting they operate kind of like uh, subsidiaries for the DAO so that yeah. they have their own thing that we'd be incubating a little away from the core. Yeah, I know. I know. We we touched a little bit about sub DAOs earlier as well. When it comes to sub DAOs, do you think that fractionalizes Maker, or do you think that is better to represent the Maker holders and the protocol? I think it's a good way to kind of incubate new ideas in a way that's a little separate. Because, like right now, if, if anyone wants to do anything, they have to go through the MIT process. And if you're a new newcomer, it's a huge headache and like unless you're super politically entrenched in maker already it's very difficult to like know who to talk to and you have to get all these different participants on board so i would like hey if we can maybe set a little money aside for like this this kind of project and they self-manage with oversight and they're not having to come to like get a vote on like every little thing i i think that would be a kind of a huge improvement for building and getting new ideas on without overcomplicating like the DAO, the core DAO itself. So I like that aspect. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one, that's one positive that we've seen through research about sub DAOs is it helps with the scalability of the protocol, right? Of the governance process and the DAO. Yes. Yes. I believe it's a kind of a, a good scalability. So that's one aspect of the constitution I like. Overall, there's, I think there's a number of other issues with it. It sets up a lot of barriers to participation by maker holders with very restrictive rules on delegates and with constitutional voter committees that have to be doing weekly meetings. I've been talking to a variety of maker holders and I haven't talked to any other than Rune who are looking forward to setting up a CVC and attending all this. So I think it's going to make it a lot more difficult on that end. I'm also concerned in that like you're creating this immutable document that's very complex, rushed at this point. It was being edited up to the last moment. So I believe it definitely needs significant revision, but I like some of the, I think there's some great ideas in it that we could take away. What do you think would be a, a potential sort of phase one that you could do for the constitution instead, just to sort of ease into it, that maybe a bit bit less drastic in its initial changes? And what things would you focus on? Sure. The Spark Lab initiative is like a good kind of test case for sub house. I mean, I, I'm not excited about every aspect. I don't like that they're requesting 100 million 
<laughs> up front. <laughs> but I think overall, Spark Labs is an interesting kind of test case for what we could do in a sub-DAO. And we can look at that, learn lessons from it, and expand out more D3M type activity with more protocols be a great way to expand outward and simplify. So I, I think those are some good core areas, but I believe any kind of constitution needs to be very focused and simple with broad consensus. And I don't, I don't really see that. I don't see a kind of a broad, this is, oh, this is a document kind of everyone agrees on. I was like, if you look at like the US constitution, it's, it's five pages. It was written on five pages, right? And covers an entire country. And if you read through it, it's, it's very simple. Like there's, there's not a lot in the constitution that like, like an, like a smart eighth grader could look through and be like, I don't understand what this is about. It, it's not an overly complex. It's not trying to micromanage. And I feel like we get a lot of that. So I would want something short and sweet. That's just, Hey, this is something we all agree on. Things like a die being immutable, a general idea, more general yeah. guidelines in a yes. short simple format. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I always look at it more of like guiding principles, things that you can follow over time and, and grow from and build out of. And, and so one, yes. one thing that has popped up in, in other conversations is like inflationary aspects. A big concern. Um, it's right off the bat. It's minting 20,000 maker. It's maybe going to nuclear power advocacy, although that's not as clear. It's going to some sort of public good purpose. I haven't really seen any kind of. Excitement from other maker holders on that. And it, yeah, I don't like that at the core and core. It's very focused on maker and inflating maker. And there's not a lot on die or like how to grow die. It's just assumed, oh, it's, a, it'll work out because we'll be making a ton of money off die, but it, it doesn't have that at the core. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a lot more focus on die and things like public goods purpose, not as more, more broad, less like granular. Oh, this is how much we're going to inflate this much. Cause we don't. We don't know what the economic situation of the DAO is going to be. So it's a lot to say we're going to print all this maker and it'll work out just because we're going to be making a ton of money. For sure. And I think there's, it's worth pointing out as well, the 20K maker with respect to the total supply for, of maker is, is is pretty significant. It's, I mean, I think there's about 1 million max supply out there for, for maker at the moment. So that's an extra 2% pretty much going into circulation. Yes. There's supposed to be more with the sub-DAO tokenomics incentives. I believe there's a lot more maker getting printed there. So it it's a fairly substantial amount. Do you think that's one of the big worry points, I guess, from a, a standard maker token holder who isn't perhaps aware of the complexities of the constitution and, and everything it entails? And it could perhaps be a bit of a surprise on that front. Or, or do you think it's it's not going to have too much of a material impact on? Oh, I, I think it, it is a big worry point for maker holders. I mean, especially people who are maybe not as involved and they're looking at this more as like an investment there. It's a big concern as well. Are we getting just heavily diluted? That's a common issue in DAOs in general is you'll buy a token and then it's like, oh, you're turning into exit liquidity because a ton of it's getting minted and that's going to other people. So yeah, I, I feel like getting back to burning maker and trying to make it a deflationary token is that was one of the big selling points of Maker as we brought this burn. I recently voted to at least start a token burn up, which got over to, which got downvoted. But I believe we should be at least having that as a goal. And it should be clear, hey, we're not trying to inflate the supply of Maker. We're trying to reduce it. Yeah. So we're trying to increase your stake in the protocol and return value to you. I just don't see that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a few other things I just want to, a few other things I just want to dive into here. Some of, some of the structural changes. So I know we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but CVCs and CDs. And so it definitely adds a few layers of complexity from a participation standpoint. But what are some highlights that you see around CVCs and CDs? So 
That's a good question. So the, the, the constitutional delegate role isn't too different. I think the main difference there is um, there's there's going to be governance incentives. That's one, something I, I support. I think there should be some sort of a reward for people who put their money in the delegate in the, con, in the governance contract and secure the executive. I think that should be incentivized. So I do support that aspect. These it it's really not clear like who's going to be running them other than Rune. I think Acre has suggested there'll be one, but I'm looking at them and they're they're very very strict in like you have to for example you have to be running a meeting at basically every week. Yeah. And if you miss one week, you're no longer a CBC. You're you're instantly out for at least a quarter. <laughs> so <laughs> I am looking at this there'll be no there'll be none left. Yeah. And then like the constitutional delegate front, it's got like these all sorts of rules about you can't engage in political factionalism. You can't talk to anyone other than CVCs. And it'll be very, I guess, difficult to see how that'll evolve, how the governance norms will set up. And then that also ties in, you've got the scope committees, right? So you've got these 12 scope committees and I'm looking at it and there's, that's going to be complex because there's a lot of overlap. Like, imagine you're trying to unload, onboard a new collateral. It's like growth, right? So growth, like, hey, got this new initiative. They got their scope. The decentralized collateral scope is also involved. And, well, there's the stability and liquidity scope and the protocol engineering scope. So you've got, like, that's already four committees. Plus the CVC. So now you've got five, maybe six committees on this one initiative. I don't, I don't know. It, it seems like that's going to turn into a... a just a mess as there's so much overlap. I feel like that's another thing is like, I think the 12 different scopes seem semi-arbitrary. I don't know why there's 12 and it wasn't a heavy point of discussion. It was just kind of like, hey, let's throw these in here. And they just match up with the current C- CUs roughly. Yeah. So one thing you pointed out in the forum as well is some complexities around delegates being required to be anonymous. Yes. So... Technically, it's not in the like the pregame, but yeah. So the theory is, a year from now, we're going to go to the end game where everything is crystallized. You can't change any anything anymore. The constitution set in stone, and during that time, most of the, del- the delegates are supposed to be anonymous. I pointed out, I felt like that kind of leads to a lot of witch hunty type behavior. It's like, okay, so someone gets accused, the delegate gets accused of being someone, and then the delegate just said, "That's not isn't me." What do you do? Do you arbitrate? Do you like um, set up like a doxing committee that's investigates whether this is indeed that person? It, it, <laughs> I don't know. I can't see a world where encouraging people to dox each other is going to lead to a a good governance. Yeah, a lot um, of a lot of operational and legal ambiguity there. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean that that can turn into real harassment. <laughs> if what if this person is just some random guy who's getting accused of being some delegate and he he has no idea he can't prove it. He can't prove that he's not a delegate, so he's just some random guy. I think that'll be a, a kind of a headache. Also, like most of the delegates have their name out there, so it's basically saying we're gonna get rid of all the current delegates except maybe like one or two and then come up with a new branch. And I think that the end goal is to have this all be replaced by AI. There's been recent talk of large language models being delegates. That was pointed out earlier as well, right? It's it's <laughs> it's it chasing the latest and greatest. Yeah, I, I get a lot of that. It's, you've got this document that's supposed to be super like immutable and crystallized, live forever. But then it's like, oh, we're talking about large language models. I'm like, <laughs> is that really like the, the trend we've decided is enduring throughout time? No, that's just something that came up like, 
a month ago. So I, I, yeah, I felt like it needs some work on that aspect. <laughs> so we are, we are coming up on, on time here. And so I want to, I want to close off the MIP discussion on first off, how do you feel this MIP and this set of votes that are coming up? How does that, or how does this impact the long-term viability of the protocol? Okay. So it's interesting. So on one hand, if it passes, I think it's going to be, we're going to be spending the next year very inwardly focused on trying to figure this out. I mean, it, given the short time frame involved, there's going to be a lot of edge cases that show up. A lot of things are going to be have to be rewritten. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus on editing these documents and fixing and reforming them so that, that if it fails on the other hand, I believe Runez said he's going to step away. And then I guess it would be up to us to come up with like our own constitution. So then, then it would be kind of up for the other governance participants to step up and present their own plan. So I think that's where it is at. Awesome. And I know you probably alluded to it in some areas of, the, of this conversation. Are you able to share with us which side you're voting and, and sort of the, the core reason behind that? I know we've already touched on a lot of it, but what's most important to you? Yeah, I'm voting against it. I, I just believe it's overly complex. I don't like that it, it's supposed to be crystallized and this like big massive document and it has a number of like minor issues just with diluting maker holders, odd requirements like anonymity that I don't think will end well. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at. I, I'd like to see significant changes. And the last thing here, where can people follow you or follow your work? I know you're very active on the Maker Forum, and so you can go and search on the Maker Forum. We'll also link that into the show notes. But if you have any plug that you'd like to throw out here now, something like your Twitter, let's do it. So first, I'd like to shout out Facer Labs, the new my delegate my delegate supporter, and they're, they've been very helpful in helping design and structure all this. So you can find them at facer.io. They're just launching. So we'll have the site up soon. And you can follow me on Twitter with Code Night. Code Night, thank you so much for your time, man. We're definitely excited to see where this shakes out. And so uh, for those of us who want to dive into this MIP and this set of MIPs that are currently up for a vote, you can check that out on Boardroom. That will be linked in the show notes. You can also see it on the Maker Forum and Voting Portal. But let's give a quick summary into some of the discussion points that we've had so far. So in summary, I would say the Constitution looks to make MakerDAO more resilient, particularly against seizure through the use of sub-DAOs. Whether they would actually stand, uh, stand in court, I'm not too sure. It seems like it would uh, fall back to the protocol regardless, as well as the sub-DAOs helping to drive more efficiency by specializing certain units within the organization. But my take is that it comes with two big sacrifices. Firstly, it makes process a lot more complex. It requires a really present workforce and people understanding what their rules are within Maker. And secondly, it also leads to dilution for Maker holders. So Maker holders are likely going to take a hit from this with the, the additional Maker that's going to be minted. Particularly in Paper's point of view, it's moving away from that core mission of being centered around DAI so they can focus on different value generating activities. My main takeaway is that it's such a huge proposal that it changes MakerDAO at its core if it goes through. It could pull off and turn Maker into an even bigger and more encompassing DeFi institution, but it comes with huge risks. And I'm not sure if this is better off being done in smaller steps and maybe gradually transitioning towards a constitution-like model over the long term. Yeah, I think I think just really quickly, there's there's clear benefits to something like this. And I think all parties understand some of these benefits. 
right? Just the fact of having a constitution that helps align the workforce is a benefit. We've heard so many times that we'd like to see revisions and that, uh, you know, that some of our delegates would like to see more focus out of the actual constitution itself. This was our first shot at this new type of episode, again, focused on the actual contents of a vote. So for everyone listening, I hope we all have a clear understanding of what's happening within the maker ecosystem and have an understanding of the position regarding some delegates and MIP 101. Quick shout out to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode, as well as Paper Imperium and Code Night for coming on as guests. Until next time.